0: Amen. Well, you can be seated this morning. I see our kids are taking off. I hope it wasn't something that I said, but have a great, great service. Good morning, everybody. I'm excited about this morning. I'm excited to, um, to talk about Jesus. And I, I'm grateful for our study in the book of James, and I'm grateful for our worship team, too. You guys did always a Really, really great time. I'm loving our, our time in the, um, in the book of James because what you see of James is that he doesn't quote Jesus a lot. Um, he is writing a letter to people who are, are close, to, um, close to Jesus. They're followers of Jesus. There are those that had seen him, likely many of them had, had seen him in his crucifixion and resurrection. And the important part to me in this whole point of that, him not saying Jesus said this or Jesus said that. James talks and encourages them and, and admonishes them towards things. And, and the interesting point is you read what he has to say and go, you go, huh, that sounds a lot like Jesus. Huh, that sounds a lot like the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, that, I think Jesus said that. And my point is this, that James is, a, is, is well formed in the image of Christ. And that's what God's doing in each one of us. And that's why we're here today. Amen? That we want to continue our walk with Jesus. We want to continue to grow. And you don't have to ditch your personality or leave it at the door. That God made you who you are for a reason. That he wants to work in and through you. Um, your quirks, your, your gifts, all of it. He, he loves you and he likes you. He, he made you in his image. And he made you unique. That's why you have a different fingerprint than the person that's next to you. And there's such a freedom in looking into God's Word and opening up His Word and opening up our hearts to His Word. There's such a freedom in, um, in coming to that place and allowing the work of the Spirit to, to flow in and through us. And the freedom is this, that as we study God's Word, you don't have to compare yourself to anybody. You don't have to compare yourself to the person on the right or to the left or to your favorite preacher. I know it's me. But anyway, to, to your favorite person. You don't have to compare yourself to your hero in the faith that you sit in God's presence with God's word and you allow the work of formation, you are being transformed into the image of Jesus. That's, that's the deal, and that's amazing. And so that's why I'm excited to be here. Um, another reason I'm excited to be here is I get to embarrass Phyllis Weiss in front of everyone. She's probably one of the most popular girls in the school. I mean, come on, let's just admit it. And she uh, had another 39th birthday. And so we just wish you a very happy birthday. And Phyllis, you're popular for a reason. You are popular for a reason. And all those things I said about James, I would say about you that the Jesus that we see in you is remarkable. It's remarkable. And I don't say that in flattery, I say that in honesty. That people want to be around you because, like one author I like, says that you ooze Jesus. Like it just comes out of you. And it comes out of you in, in wisdom, but it also comes out of you in humor. You are a lot of fun. And I I happen to think Jesus was too, you know, when he walked on the earth, because God must have a great sense of humor the way that he brings all these people together in one room, right? So, Phyllis, happy birthday. And should we sing happy birthday to Phyllis? I think so. So, happy birthday to
1: you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday.
0: 39 looks really good on you. So James chapter 2, we're in the second part of James chapter 2, and we'll get there in just a moment. And uh, I wanted to thank Pastor Andy for bringing us through the first part of James chapter 2 that, um, and yeah, someone started clapping. It's like, you got to go all the way if you're going to do it. Um, I'm grateful. Um, I'm grateful for Andy's ministry to us here in the teaching of God's word. And, um, and I wasn't here that Sunday because I was watching my son surf. And I'm just going to embarrass him because, you know, he's on the surf team at a school. That, that season is now over. Oh, yeah, Daniel, I'm talking to you in front of everybody. <laughs> and, uh, and this guy, you know, um, he was one of the – I think you were the only boy on your team who made it to the finals and got a medal, right? Am I right about
2: that? Yeah.
0: So, Yeah. I I love that he loves surfing, because it's the coolest thing that instead of sitting in cold bleachers on a Friday night, you're on a, I wish it wasn't a Sunday morning, right? But on a Sunday morning with the sunshine, with the other parents going, yeah, watching your kids surf, how cool is that? So anyways, congratulations, Daniel. And Kate, it's nice to see you too, right next to your brother there. I'm so proud of my kids that I will just take this time to boast in their wonderfulness, I embarrassed them thoroughly. Listen, um, the, the, we're going to get into the second half of, of James chapter two. Um, but some of the songs that we we sang today says, "I'll just shout of what you're doing." Right? The testimony of what God's doing in this moment in history is remarkable, and and what's remarkable about it is um, the testimony that we had it maybe two, three years ago. Uh, although God hasn't changed and, and didn't change in his character, it was a lot more the testimony of his grace that was getting us through some really hard times. And, and I believe we're beginning to see this shift into something so beautiful of the faithfulness of God just being graciously poured out just because, because God is good. I shared with you last week, if you weren't here, I had the opportunity to help debrief some young missionaries as they came back from um, Cambodia and Thailand. And if, if you don't remember, I, I shared a miracle story of, of a young girl who met a fisherman who was, who was limping, asked him if she could pray for him. She just felt strongly that God wanted to heal this man. Um, he had, had cut the bottom of his foot in a fishing accident. It got infected, it affected the way that he walked. He, from that point on, five years, he'd walked on the side of his foot, couldn't get from point A to point B, and the pain was so severe that he couldn't fish. And that's a big deal. It wasn't like that was his, uh, his hobby. That was his livelihood. You don't fish, you don't eat, right? And so as she prayed for him, I shared last week, I'll, I'll just repeat it. She prays for him once. The guy feels a little shiver in his foot, goes, whoa, I've never felt that before. Twice, he feels a little more. Seven times, the seventh time, his foot flattens out. He begins to walk. And he says, I haven't walked like this in five years. That's amazing, right? But what I didn't share with you, I, sh- I, I shared with you, yeah, he decided to follow Jesus after that. He was a Buddhist, but decided to follow Jesus. Signs and wonders follow the power of the gospel, right, or, or precede it sometimes. And so he, he decides to follow Jesus. And, and here's where, like, you're going to go, oh, really? Yeah, really, this is, this is an eyewitness account. The Bible is formed on eyewitness accounts, right? It's not just one person who says it, but several people who go, yep, I was there, I saw that, that happened. So this guy now, in his own, he's impoverished because of his lack of ability to, to fish. Somebody just, in his own community, gives him money for food, Okay, that might sound normal to you and I, right? If you're a neighbor and you knew needed groceries and you had a little extra money, you're gonna drop them some money so you're gonna drop them $5,000 so they can buy eggs, right? Or something like that, you know? (laughs) But but for them, you know, for uh, someone in poverty, in a impoverished community to go, here's $5. That $5 was 18 meals, okay? 18 meals, here's $5. Another person goes, here's a motor. You can put this back on your boat. This guy begins to go fishing again, and he says he daily would see a vision of a man. He, he, and, and I don't know. I don't know that Jesus has white hair and a white beard, but in his vision, that was the vision that he saw, that whatever that was that was significant to him, that God came to him and revealed himself, decided to follow Jesus, begins to connect with, with a local church community and grow in his faith. That's, that's the whole story. Right, And that story is amazing in and of itself. But then there's a second story that I heard um, while I was there. Again, eyewitness account. This isn't something I I pulled up on the internet. Like, before you preach, here's some really good stories to get people interested. Um, Eyewitness account. So there was a, as I was sharing my, my lectures, I, I talk about trauma and about how the body keeps record of things and some things that you can do to, um, to submit those things to God, let the healing work of the Holy Spirit happen in your life and prior, prior to my teaching, I was looking at this um, guy six foot seven, just built you know big dude and he 's listening into my lectures like this and I'm like, "Do you not like me? I want you to like me I got issues no I'm just kidding no like I, I'm like, are you, are you into this? Are you not into this? And, um, and then he comes after a lecture, and he says to me in his uh, kind of accent, which was from Finland, he said, good stuff. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And like literally, this guy's six foot seven, and he's just, whoom. and he says, uh, I spent two tours with NATO. And he said, first tour, Lebanon, second tour, tour, Afghanistan, Afghanistan messed me up. I wish I would have known some of this. I had no debrief. I I ended up um, medicating with alcohol. I went way off the rails, and this season for me has been returning to Jesus and Him renewing my heart. And I'm like, wow, right? Now I want want to be best friends with Him because He's six foot seven, He's buff, and He's super cool, and He was a soldier. I'm like, dude, you're awesome. And so, so the whole time I'm like giving my lecture, I'm like, did you like that? No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) So. It was um, towards the end of the time, and, and where these guys begin to share the stories of what Jesus did in their lives. And he shares his story. And his story is this. He says, we, we, "We got together and we began to pray. We asked God to lead us in evangelism. So that means the group gets together, says, "Lord, where do you want us to go? Who do you want us to talk to?" And um, who do you want us to share the gospel with?" They're in Cambodia. He sees a picture of a person wearing a red shirt with a hat on with his back towards him, right? And, you know, when you're learning to, when you're learning to test out your faith, when you're learning to, um, to begin to, like, take a risk, is that really you, God, that's talking, or is that you that's giving me a picture? You, you take certain steps, and you, you would acknowledge it. Okay, I'm not sure if this is God or not, but I saw a picture of a, a guy in a red shirt, and he had his back towards us. And then he sheepishly tells the group to, I got the, the word in my mind of a lighthouse, right? This is what he says. And the group gets together and goes, okay, well, let's go to the lighthouse in town and look for a guy in a red shirt, right? He's like, you don't have to overthink it. And guess what? If, if you're wrong, what are you going to do? If you're wrong and it wasn't God, okay, I gave it a shot. They go to the lighthouse in, in, in a certain area in town, and when they get there, he looks around for a guy in a red shirt with his back towards him, and guess what? The guy's not there. And so he asks some of the local people, and he says, Hey, are there any other lighthouses around? And, um, and the, 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 one of the guys laughs and says, Nope, this is it. And he says to him through a translator, The only other lighthouse is the bar. And he goes. That's it. And so he goes with his team, goes straight into the bar, and he says, "Sure enough, this is crazy." Okay, if it wasn't, um, this, I wouldn't say. He, he goes into the and he sees back to the bar. Guess what? Guy in a red shirt with the hat. He goes. It was exactly like I saw in my picture. He goes over to the guy and taps on his shoulder and says, "Hey, you know." And if a six foot seven soldier guy taps on your shoulder, you be like, "What?" So Tabs taps on his shoulder and says, hey, I'd like to talk to you. The guy turns around, and he is another man from Finland in Cambodia sitting at a bar called The Lighthouse. And goes, I'd like to share the gospel with you. Amen. Dude, that's crazy. What? That is crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> uh, it's a friend from town. But, but it's crazy that, that God would do that, and that God would do that for a number of reasons. Now, the full story is this. I'm not 100% sure what the result was. The, the testimony wasn't like, yeah, and then he repented of his sins and decided to follow Jesus. That wasn't the end of the story. But I guarantee you something more than two lives are changed forever as a result of that person's willingness to take action and obedience, right? That entire team that went through that journey of taking a risk and following the direction of God, that, that, that group was transformed. The, the person who was willing to say, I think God might be leading me in some way, and his speaking up, that his life was transformed. And I guarantee you, the person who was in Cambodia, who knows what they're, who Who knows? Probably the only two Finnish people in that entire country that 's not an exaggeration, right? What are the odds and who knows what that guy 's doing at a bar in cambodia can't can 't be great and and to get that tap on the shoulder and say, "Hey God sent me here to give you this message life changing, and God does that kind of stuff, and he 's still doing it amen, amen. and so um, before, again, I just feel like I want to talk about Jesus and what he's doing. And so um, I will get to some scripture here in just a moment. But, but the, the, the third thing that I want to talk to you about is what some of you might have been seeing and looking at on the Internet or hearing word of. And that's what God is doing in Kentucky, in, in a, a university, um, Asbury University. Um, are you familiar with this by show of hands? Some of you are, and some of you are like, wait, what's going on? You're faking like you should know. I should know. I'm a Christian. Why don't I know? Um, <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you. Uh, three weeks ago. There was a chapel service. And in that normal chapel service, this, this group of students gets together, I believe, every day at 10 o'clock for chapel. And at chapel, they began to open up the Bible. The, the guy speaking gives a, a very good message, but it's very normal. There was no, like, and this is what I loved about this whole thing. There was, like, zero production quality. There was no fog hog. There was no, like, lights coming on him. He did not have skinny jeans on. There was just, like, he was just a dude getting up and talking about Jesus, and his message was this. Basically, the the love of God, you students, I pray that you will experience his acceptance, his love, his forgiveness, that it will come inside of you in such a profound way that you will know it so well that it will literally spill out of you, and it will go into the highways and into the byways and into the nations of the world. This is not a direct quote, but this is the essence of his message and the prayer. And then it was like, and, and you can watch it online, you see it for yourself. It's like, thank you guys for coming, bless you. Chapel like any other day. What happens on this chapel, though, is the worship team gets back up to start leading in worship, much like we do at the end of our services. People begin to start worshiping, and they don't stop for three weeks straight, 24-7 around the clock. Amazing. 3,000 plus students just worshiping Jesus, right? Now you go, well, the worship team must have been really good. They really weren't. Like, if you listen to it, it's not like they're like, producing albums or anything. It was honest students that were glorifying Jesus, just loving on Jesus, and students that just did not want to leave. Week one, word gets out. Busloads of of neighboring universities come in. We want what's going on here. We want to experience what God's doing. Uh, People coming from um, places like Canada who definitely needs a move of God. Places um, all over the globe just begin to converge on this spot and want to experience what God is doing in a place. It wasn't advertised. It wasn't like, come, here's a hotel to stay at. Um, People were lined up. Can can you imagine? I mean, God let it come, the day where people are lined up and willing to wait. Uh, It was a half a mile line to get in to the church service. And meanwhile, people are just waiting patiently and worshiping God. Was it the music? Was it the place? No, it was the presence of God that manifested itself in a place amongst young people, teenagers, early 20s. And what's beautiful about it is... The same thing happened in 1970 and it proceeded and, it, and that same type of move of God came and it just began to spill out into high schools and universities and churches throughout. I found it really interesting as I was looking into it is that there's a, the collegiate day of prayer that's coming up. Cosby, you're probably aware of this. And, and there was a an, uh, kind of a promo video. And the promo video was Francis Chan, who, who we love around here. He Who's a great teacher. And Francis Chan was was asking people to come and, hey, come and be a part of this and and pray that God will do again what he did in Asbury in 1970, right? So he's doing this promo video two weeks before, having no idea that God would just show up even before that and begin to move in a dramatic way because guess what? The 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 Collegiate Day of Prayer, I think, is on the 23rd or the 24th, right? Isn't that amazing? And so I'm, I'm listening to this stuff and I'm watching it and I'm I'm just going. God, you're up to something. This, this proclamation of jubilee, this concept that's in the Old Testament of God leveling things out, of God pouring out his his faithfulness on people. of in, in that context, it was an agrarian society, and so in that context, it was like the land gets a rest. The debt on the land gets arrested. There's no wealthy landowner and, and, and sort of uh, subsistence slave farmer, but everybody gets this equal playing field because God is calling for a big reset. And I look at this stuff and I go, God, let it be. Let there be a reset that, that is birthed in us understanding and knowing and receiving his grace and his love and then spilling it out on others. Again, I, I can rant and rave about this stuff, but what's what what I see happening in Asbury, I believe is is something pure from the Holy Spirit. You can find people on the internet that will sit in an armchair in a beautiful YouTube studio and tell you otherwise and pick apart every bit of it having not been there. That's silly to me. But to be able to understand that God longs to visit His people, God longs to answer the heart cry of a generation that says, we just want more of Jesus. We've heard the stories of what God did in the 1970s and in the 30s and in the teens of whenever. We want to see God moving in our day and in our time. And hearing the testimony of young people just coming out saying, I walked into that building filled with anger and resentment, and I walked out feeling a lightness of God just cleansing it out of me. Come on. It's awesome, right? The big question was as, as it surpassed its 1970, I think 1970 had 100 and 144 hours of continuous praise and worship. And by the way, it wasn't like at two in the morning there were five people in there. We're talking like 3,000 people hungry for Jesus, like so hungry that I'm not even going to go to class, right? It, you guys from Vanguard are like, that would be awesome, right? So no, but like, but just seriously, like that, that God would do such a thing. And the big question began, became like, when is it going to stop? And, and, and here's what the president of Asbury posted today as a press statement. And I, I just wanted to go through it and, and read it, because I think it's remarkable. It says, we're experiencing a historic moment at Asbury University. Since our regularly scheduled chapel service on February 8th, there have been countless expressions and demonstrations of, look at what's being demonstrated. Radical humility, compassion, confession, consecration, surrender unto God. We are witnessing what the Scripture describes as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As we enter into the third week of this renewal movement, our desire is to be faithful to our mission as a student-centric Christian university. Further, we believe that... That the continued flourishing of such a movement invites us to commission our Asbury community, visiting students and other campus guests from across the world to neighbor-serving and God-honoring work. What is he saying there? Go ahead. You can clap for that. What is he saying? This is, again, my opinion, and you're entitled to yours. What he's saying there is like, we are not gonna become a consumer location for you to now have a destination to experience God. What we're saying is God moved in a sovereign way and will continue to move. Now take what he's giving you and go into the highways and the byways. Answer, be an answer, be feet to that prayer that was prayed that started the whole thing. Go into dark places with the love of God. Let the love of God fill you and then spill out of you. But we're not gonna become the, the place that just you come to and it's like magic, You know it's magic. If I could, like, maybe I could just get to Asbury, it would fix everything. Look, it would be awesome. I would, I would sign up. If you said, "Hey, we're doing a road trip to Kentucky," I'm telling you right now, I'd be like, "I'm in." Can we take my Volkswagen? I'm in. It would be a hippie trip. It would be awesome. But I want to tell you that that same presence that so graciously manifested itself—the presence of God—not the smart guy who prayed, not the, not the talented musician who led. That same presence is here at this moment. At this moment. And the, the, the change I think that happens is in our mindset of just going, okay, wow, it is really that good. Like the gospel is too good to be true. It's too, that's why it's a miracle. It's really that good. And experiencing and and allowing that work of salvation into our life, that well-formed Christ-likeness, what we see in James. James, who acts just like Jesus. And that each one of us have that privilege and, and ability to do that through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, as we think about these things, can we jump into that second half Of James chapter 2 because I think it's really relevant to this moment. I love going through a series, and man, I love going through God's Word just week by week by week. I love just looking back and going, okay, God, what are you up to this week? And wow, isn't that interesting how where we land in James today fits so hand in glove with the moment that we're in culturally and historically. And I believe that this is the case today. And so let's jump right into it. Um, well, that's not true because I've already been talking for like 20 minutes, so there's no jumping right into anything. But let's get into it. Keep your finger in James chapter 2 and and then uh, flip the other way to Ephesians chapter 2. James chapter 2, just to cut to the chase, is where we find this like really provocative statement that says, faith without works is dead. Right? So faith without works is dead. And this statement I believe uh, for, for many, and not just I believe, but you can see it historically, was controversial because you have Martin Luther, who uh, leads the Protestant Reformation, who speaks of this grace and grace alone. So um, faith, like grace by faith leads us to this place of salvation, and so reading something like this um, makes him a little bit nervous to the point where he' he's not a big fan, Martin Luther of, of um, James' Epistle. but what what James Epistle is saying is not that um, that it's our works that lead us to salvation, but it's because of the faith that we have and Christ being formed in us that we can't help but participate in what God is doing through our works right? And so I, I'm taking us to Ephesians two because, Ephesians 2 unpacks the whole thing in clarity. Here's what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. How many can say amen to that? And this is not of your own doing. This is a gift of God. So there's nothing that you can earn in this regard. God isn't like overly impressed that you logged 57 hours of serving him this week or that you read your Bible 92 hours or whatever. Those are all great things. But that doesn't save you. This is a gift of God. In verse 9 says, this is not a result of, of works. So none of us get to boast. And then, he, then the balance comes here. So we're saved by his grace through faith. But in verse 10 says, we're his workmanship, that we're created in Christ Jesus for what? What's that say in your Bible or on the screen? We're created for good works, which he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The good works are there. The the working of of the faith that's in us, it it activates our faith. It it, it brings it into a place of action. And it's there for us. There's a a saying um, that goes, Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. It has good works with it, right? Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. It carries with it, Good works. And so the point is this that yes, we're saved by grace and not our actions, but because of our faith, we will show tangible actions. It's what we say often, and the evidence of, of someone truly being saved is that they're a different person, that they've changed. There's change in their life, there's change in their behavior, there's change in their desires, and so forth. And so James is coming to this um, predominantly and almost completely exclusively Jewish congregation. Um, so these are, are, are Jewish people who decided to follow Jesus. And so they're wrestling through their own theology when they, when they come to it. Now, now, here, this is what he says to them in, in complete. He says in James 2, verse 14. Um, so, excuse me, let me, yeah. <clears throat> what good is it, my brothers, if someone has, says he has faith but does not have works? This is James 2, 14 can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself is faith by itself. If it does not have works, it is dead. Listen to this. I I love the message translation because it brings you some new dimension, kind of puts some things in common language. This is how that same passage is translated. It says, dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half starved, and you say, good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? And listen to this. Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? Wow. I look at it this way. I thought of an analogy that faith um, works without faith. So without walking out or the action that comes It's kind of like the hunter who's really good at aiming, right? It's the hunter who can see that meal for his family off in the distance, and he has that meal in his sights. He is expert at holding his rifle perfectly straight, and he never pulls the trigger. But he goes back, and they say, how how was the hunt? Oh, man, I I had the thing. My aim is perfect. It's like the fisherman who is an expert at casting. Right? It's a YouTube site. You know, people love to watch him cast. He brags about his casting. He's like, watch me, I can get it right in that little pool. Just wow. Everyone's like, wow, that guy can cast. (laughs) But he doesn't ever put a hook. He doesn't ever put bait or a lure. All he does is cast. That is faith without works. It's outrageous nonsense. And so when, when we understand that, we go, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I think sometimes we have to take a moment and unpack what the Bible is saying. And what, and, and where I felt to focus on was this word works, right? Because sometimes that becomes our excuse or our reason for not doing something. is because like, man, I don't want to get hung up in works. You know, I just, I'm free, you know? And that's very true for, the, for these Jewish converts. Can you imagine their life? They're coming out of a, uh, of a religious system that like caused them to do so many acts or works that was supposed to lead towards them pleasing God to the point where it was exhausting, where they had to, wait, am I allowed to do this today or not allowed to do it? Did I break the law by what I said or did? So many of them, over 600 of these laws that they had to accomplish. And so when they came into freedom in Christ, this original reader, you can imagine them going, okay, maybe wait, there's works attached to it? I thought we're done with that, right? I thought, like, do you remember when you got saved? Do you remember when when you just felt the love of God? Like, whoa, free. And I wonder if this congregation that James is trying to lead is like, hey, we've been basking in the freedom long enough. Like, we we get together, we sing songs about it, we love on each other, super awesome, glad we all feel good, but guys, we gotta do something too. And so he's addressing that. Another part of that is maybe a, a misconception about what work is. For the Jewish mind, work equaled curse, right? Where do I get that? From the fall of man. Do you remember the fall of man in the book of Genesis where the curse is pronounced upon the land? And so it was essentially this, like, you're going to have to toil a lot, and you're going to get little reward for what you do. It's a part of, and some of you are like, amen. I toil a lot and I get a little reward. And so if that is your concept of attaching works or work to faith, like no wonder why it was difficult to motivate this congregation, no wonder why it's difficult for us sometimes to attach works to our faith. But the gospel story is a story about Jesus making all things new. And that means that there's a redemption to work. That word work, I think I have a definition for it if we can put it on the screen. It's the, um, the word ergon. It's where you get like ergonomics, you know, this our English word where you, you're working in a position, you know, like your you know, like really cool expensive office chair that you have or like the keyboard thing that keeps you from going like that. Or, Anyways, um, the Greek word for works ergon denotes action or active zeal in contrast to idleness. I like this second part. Or it's useful activity in contrast to useless busyness. The redemptive work that God is speaking of that's attached to faith is not useless busyness. It's not idle or, 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 you know, or doing nothing, but it's this active zeal or action or this useful activity. How many of you, like, when, when you know, I mean, I can just imagine um, moments in my life, or remember moments in my life, or, or seasons, or doing certain things that it is an effort on your part, but you're seeing the fruit of it, and aren't you like, man, I could do this endlessly? right? I will put my effort into this because it's not useless activity. It's, it's useful for somebody else. It's useful for the kingdom. And that's, that's works attached with faith. And so um, the point, I guess, in all of this is that um, the work is not this toil of our hands that produces little, little result. It's the effective use of, of our energy, your energy, for the glory of God and the good of others, when you trace this word work throughout the Bible, you find that it's in so many categories. There's a whole agricultural category. There's arts, that the the, the creation of beautiful things. There's business, there's every facet of society. That the works that we do in bringing glory to God and, and help to others, they, they, they go across all of society. And so my point is this, the works that we do for God aren't just what I'm doing right now and publicly preaching from a pulpit or what Ben did earlier in leading us in a song. The works that we do attached to our faith have everything to do with what you're going to do tomorrow at 6.30 or 7.30 or 10.30 or work from home in the morning, right? That God has something attached to your faith that touches the lives of those that are in your sphere of influence and he wants to do it in a greater measure in these days. I believe it with all my heart. The works that it's talking about is is in the heart of Jesus. When, When Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. This act of of honoring them and the the leader, the the rabbi, taking a place of humility and washing the feet of his followers. And then what does he say? You go and do likewise. The, The works that I'm talking about are what you find when you read this letter in the very beginning when it says, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered. It's what you find when you read the apostle Paul who says in the book of Romans, I, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, saying the same thing in Titus. He gives his acts of service, what he's gonna do for the Lord before his authority. Do you follow me on that? This is who I am. This is what I offer as a living sacrifice to Jesus. I'm not looking for the accolades. I'm not looking for position or authority. If that follows, it's because God gave it to me, right? It's kind of what I read into that. But me, Paul, he's saying, I'm a servant first, and I'm whatever else after. It's exactly what Jesus modeled. It's what well-formed Christianity looks like. It's what well-formed Christ-likeness looks like in our lives. Man, I'm running out of time, and so I'm, I'm gonna, um, I want to get to this last point because I think it's, it's important for us because I believe God has for us as a congregation a call to action in this area. You can't read James and not get a call to action. It's what, it's what the letter is all about. And so um, we read on in, in verse 18. It says, but, but some of you, James is like, okay, I get what you're saying. You're thinking to yourself, some of you will say, I have the faith. And then somebody else will say, I have the works. Can't we work together as a team? Isn't it like the Martha and Mary thing? You know, the the one who's logistical and the one who just wants to sit at Jesus' feet. And and maybe you're thinking, "Um, you know, I don't have time for that. Leave it to the one who likes to do that stuff. But he says, show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. Listen to this. It gets kind of gnarly. You believe that God is one, then you do well. Guess what? Even the demons believe that and shudder. It's a provocative statement. He's calling them out and he's saying, hey, you got faith? What kind do you have? Do you have the same kind that the demons have? Because the demons have faith too. They believe that God is one. But what are they doing? Anything of the will of God? Absolutely not. They're doing the complete contrary. And so the, the original hearer must be going, whoa, you just compared me to a demon? And I just feel like James is like, yep. <laughs> it's supposed to jar us into like, wait, what am I doing? And it jars us into thinking more clearly about how what we do, our call to action, what that looks like because of our faith, right? Because of our faith. Does this make sense? You always say yes. Okay, verse 21 Was not Abraham our father justified by his works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And you see that faith was active along with works and faith was completed by his works. In verse 23 says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. I think that the scripture speaks for itself, and if you're familiar with Abraham's story of laying his son on the altar, it was enough that, um, it wasn't enough that he just believed God was telling him to do something, he had to carry out the action and trust that God knew what he didn't know. How many of you are comfortable outside of your comfort zone? I'm not. But yet, that's exactly how faith is spelled, right? We say that faith is spelled R I -S S K right? That's risk, if I spelled it right. Way outside of our comfort zone. And you're like, man, why are you telling me this stuff? It's in the book. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. This is my favorite. And in the same way was not also Rahab, and just so you're not confused on which Rahab it is, Rahab, the what? Can't believe you said prostitute in church. Bad. <laughs> and the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also is faith apart from works dead. I have a quote from just a pastor theologian that I appreciate. And he makes it plain and clear and says. Um, the lesson from Abraham is clear. We believe in God. We will, if we believe in God, we'll do what he tells us to do. The lesson from Rahab is also clear. If we believe in God, we will help his people even when it costs us something. And I'll leave that up on the screen. You can ponder it for a moment. But as you're looking at the two people, do you not find it interesting that James uses Abraham, the father of Israel, and a prostitute to drive his point home? It doesn't matter who you think you are. If you are like, like, do you know who I am? I really don't. But maybe you're way up here. Or maybe you see, you, may, you see yourself high and mighty. Or maybe you see yourself like, if you only knew who I was. And you see yourself as low and condemned. The Bible makes it really clear and says, whatever, wherever you think you are on that spectrum, here are two examples. An obedient prostitute and an obedient father of the nation of Israel. And I, I love this quote that I came across from Blaise Pascal, who's a, a French philosopher. He says, there are two kinds of people in the world. The righteous who understand themselves to be sinners, and the sinners who believe themselves to be righteous. Truth bomb. So as you're taking all of this in, and then and I truly am coming in for a landing here. I believe there, there is a call to action for us. There can't not be, right? As we read this stuff, like, God, what are you saying? The call is not, oh, feel bad about yourself because you're not doing enough. That is called condemnation. Don't subject yourself to that. The call is not, oh, where can I volunteer? I only volunteered two hours. I need to volunteer six. That is not the call. That is condemnation. Or that is even like a self-imposed, like, hey, look, you know, I'm doing the work. The call is to obedience. The call is to want to obey. The call is to go, and this is where it gets scary. I'm going to warn you, this is going to get dangerous right now. The call is to say, Lord, you can take me outside of my comfort zone. Outside of your comfort zone is where faith lives. If you are in your comfort zone, you don't need faith. It's your comfort zone. It's what you're good at. I think one of the most dangerous things in a church is to be good at what they do. Right? We're good at what we do. We got people lined up here, people lined up there. It requires no faith. Where, where, where is it? Do you, you sort of do God a solid by saying a quick prayer before the service? Right? Like, hey, we're planned out. I'm all studied up. Got the music all squared away. We got good greeters. We got security cover. We're solid. Lord, bless what we're doing. That's convicting. I love that we're sorted out here. I think this is a great church. If you're here, you're in a great place. Not because we're great, but because Jesus is. This is a great place. But may we never become so good at what we do that we don't need Jesus. Maybe we never become so good at what we do that we don't know what to do when a guy who lives on the street walks in for five minutes and says something and then slips out. I'm serious. May we always be the kind of people that go, Jesus, what are you up to right now? Like, what we need you. We are desperate for you. We're open to what you want to do. We're not so planned out that we can't sit for a moment in your presence and experience your love and mercy. Not just so we feel good, but so that we are filled to the point that we spill, that we ooze, we, we leak. That's what Bob Goff says. We leak Jesus. We leak him because we're so filled with his love. Faith without works is dead, but works without faith is also dead. Faith and works together is alive. It's alive. People are drawn to the life of that. 3,000 students gathered together because probably one or two of them decided to go to the front and say, hey, this is what's going on in my life. I've blown it here. I need to ask for forgiveness people coming to the altar and weeping. It wasn't marked by sensationalism. It was marked by repentance and peace and joy and the fruit of God's spirit. Why not here? Why not you? Why not today? There's a, a works in the Bible that's called dead works. You read about it in Hebrews. It's what it's repented of. It's the useless things that don't take faith at all. You're just good at it, so you do it. Um, but faith with works is life. And, and, and truly, I'm not just saying that about our comfort zones because I, th- I think it in my head. I'm saying I believe that God is calling me out of my comfort zone. I believe God is calling you out of your comfort zone. Not because he's, he's like trying to play a game with us or make us feel stupid, but because, again, that's where faith lives. That's where we're relying upon him. And so what does that look like? Um, I put in my notes, it's a dangerous thing to be a follower of Jesus and not follow Jesus' commands. Right? It's a dangerous thing to call yourself for us to be followers of Jesus and not follow his commands. There are many plain in scripture. You just open the book, open the gospel, and you'll have a call to action right there. Open up Matthew 25 and you'll find that there's hungry people you can feed. There's naked people you can clothe. There's people who are sick that you can pray for. There are those that are in prison that you can go and visit. Those are the no-brainers. You could just do that and you will be within the will of God. So this week, I wonder what it would look like to to take a risk. And don't build it up so emotionally in your mind that you, you know, have like delusions of grandeur about this great thing that you're going to do for God. I'm just saying just the basic stuff. Like what would it look like if you helped someone in need this week? You know, that instead of, of seeing the need, but knowing that you could do something... You might not be able to fix it all forever, but in that moment, you might be able to bring some relief to somebody. What would that look like? What would it look like for you to pray for somebody out loud with the authority that you carry? The redemption of work is that we get to be in partnership with God. If you want to understand what work is supposed to be like, I think one of the most beautiful pictures is when Adam named the animals. God brought animals before Adam and Adam's like, giraffe. God's like, cool, giraffe. This is fun. What's the next one? Right? I think that's a beautiful picture. It's, it's the will of God, but he's handing you some, some authority to go and do the stuff that he's called and commanded us to do. And so praying for somebody with authority and, and you carry that because of Jesus. Share the gospel with someone who's never heard the good news of Jesus. Jesus. Sometimes I think we're so worried about sharing the good news of what Jesus came to do because we don't want to get it wrong and we don't want them to miss out on heaven because of a technicality on a verse that we missed. I believe God would honor your willingness to engage the subject. I think now more than ever, in recent times, people are thinking about their eternal destiny, not just their next day. And so what would it look like for you to help somebody understand that God has a big plan? And the big plan is much better than what's going on here. That God so loved the world that he gave Jesus that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. What would it look like for you to pull the trigger or to bait the hook? Um, And just to go on and, and see what God would do. Not just being a good aimer or a good caster, but just go for it, right? This week, just go for it. Amen? Can we stand together? I don't know if you have a song for us, but if you do... If you can make one up real quick. I don't know any that would be cool. Um, the, <clears throat> this week, Wednesday, interestingly enough, is Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of what's called the Lenten season. Six weeks from that Wednesday um, is, guess, what is it? Easter. Easter. It's Christian Super Bowl, man. It's like, that's when everyone comes to church. It's awesome. But... But Easter is, is more than an event we dress up for and get to see three times as many people. Um, <laughs> Easter is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. 365 days a year. We just like have a big party for it on Easter. But what's cool about Easter is that it gives us a marked moment in history to remember. And it helps us with our schedule. And Ash Wednesday is a common practice to be able to go, I want to draw nearer to God. I want to meditate on what he's done. I want to think about Jesus every day of the week. I mean, it's what we should do all the time, but we get to do it in a different way as we anticipate Easter. Oftentimes, people um, in different traditions, you'll see they get the imposition of ashes upon their head. It's the the waving of the palm branches that from Palm Sunday in the previous year, they burn those and they take those ashes and you're reminded that from the ashes that you came to the ashes you'll return, that your life is not gonna be forever here on this earth, but there's something bigger and greater, right? If you wanna do that, go for it, man. Non-denominational churches get to freestyle whatever they want, right? It's all good, but capture the heart, okay? Capture the heart of a season. The season is to go... I need a reset in my life. I want to draw nearer to Jesus on purpose for six weeks. Many people choose to fast during that time. I highly encourage it. Your flesh will hate it. Your spirit will love it. Does that mean you don't eat food for six weeks? Yes. And you're a sinner if you have, no, I'm just kidding. No. (laughs) Maybe, maybe you'll choose to have an extended fast, do it with wisdom, but maybe you'll choose to do things like our family will do. We'll sit together and talk about, hey, what do we need to give up during this time? Maybe, maybe, we're, maybe we need to reset on media, you know? Let's just put it aside. Maybe we need to reset even on the things that we're eating, you know? We want to honor God holistically. Maybe we just need to cut, like, all the processed junk that we're eating all the time. Let's just, what would it be like if our bodies felt better and we were devoted to God's Word and we didn't have a constant diet of garbage, Garbage in and garbage on TV. What would that look like? Amazing. Okay, these are just examples. Explore it. Faith that we just talk about is useless nonsense. Faith without works is dead. But faith and works is life, it's alive. And that life, man, in you spills out, transforms workplaces, transforms relationships, transforms neighborhoods transform cities, college universities, nations, the world. That's what God is all about. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's sing this song and think about it, and then we'll wrap it up.
1: Is making all things new Your blood Speaks a better word Your blood Measure up my worth Your blood Is more than I deserve Your blood Speaks a better word, speaks a better word. It's singing now with light, it's shouting down the lies. It echoes through the night. The precious blood of Christ speaks a better word. Of righteousness, your blood, my hope, my hope and my defense, your blood, forever covers me, forever covers me, it's singing out, it's singing now. alive.
0: Thank you for the word that you speak into our lives, the words of freedom and forgiveness and healing and hope. Thank you for the work of salvation in our life that's shaping us into the image of Jesus. May we look like him, act like him, and we bear the fruit of your spirit through extending and expending our effort and energy to accomplish your will on the earth. Would you redeem our vision of work or would you redeem our vision of works and the effort that we put out? God, within this week, would you inspire us to be like the young people that I shared about, willing to take a step of faith and lay hands on somebody to receive a healing over their foot injury that lasted five years, taking their vocation away from them. And you, Jesus, gave it back. And then some, because of somebody's works. Lord, would you inspire us, the young man who was willing to take an awkward step and reach out to somebody at a bar and share faith through the works that he did, through these thousands of young people at Asbury College who are willing to put action in their worship and pour out their hearts before you and be honest. And confess and receive forgiveness. Lord, inspire us through what you're doing around the globe and inspire us through your work today, we pray, that we would be willing this week to step out of our comfort zone, not for brownie points with you, but out of obedience, because we love you and because we want to. Bless your people, God, I pray. Fill them with your love. Do in us what you're doing all over the world. We pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you.